My process is a little bit more, I would say, minimalistic than many of my investor colleagues. And my strategy is really, how do I own and operate the fewest number of properties that generates the highest profitability? Welcome to the REI Mastermind Network, where host Jack Haas gathers amazing stories from leaders in real estate investing. In each episode, our guests will tell you what they're doing that works, what they've tried that failed, and best of all, you'll learn actionable steps to take your real estate investing to the next level. Now, here's Jack with another value-packed episode. We have Rachel Gainsbrew on with me here today. Rachel, I appreciate you joining me as we talk about short-term rental strategies, especially for those busy professionals, because I know that, first of all, you're a doctor, and I understand you also maintain that practice, right? Yeah, so absolutely. I actually recently stepped down from full time. So I'm pretty semi retired at this point as of February of this year. So that's awesome. Congratulations on that. That's got to be a relief and quite the accomplishment. Oh, it absolutely is. It's not something you plan ahead of time. You don't go into medicine to step away from medicine with live kiddos, household. It definitely was a great opportunity. And had I not leveraged real estate, I don't think I would have been here at this point. And there's a lot of burnout involved within. So that's who we typically see in our community, those busy professionals, especially medical professionals who are really still on that struggle bus and looking for a way to just cut back a little bit. Being a doctor and being in the medical industry, you probably had a pretty busy schedule as it is. Getting into short-term rentals, can you mind spending just a few minutes as to how you found your way to this and what caused you to seek this out? Yeah, I'm so grateful for podcasts like yours, Jack, because the content was out there as far as real estate investing and all of the strategies that are out there. So I spent a couple of years really consuming the content and trying to understand what is this real estate investing? What can it yield? And so when I approach my first real estate investment strategy, I wanted to not buy another job. Like you said, busy schedule. My husband and I, we both are in healthcare. We moonlit and just worked all those hours because the mountain of student loans, it was really insane, like 500K worth of it. And so once you start to get past that, thankfully, we're looking around for a strategy where we wouldn't be burning the candles at both ends, working all of those shifts. And so the obvious first strategy to go into that's not going to take a lot of time or a lot of an investment is wholesaling. Or is the right. way <laughs> oh, boy, was I wrong. So really counting the costs. OK, how much time capital is it going to take? How much revenue is it going to take to launch my first real estate investment? And turns out short-term rentals not only was the most lucrative strategy for us, but once we were able to start building systems and creating a small but mighty team around us, it really gave us that time capital and the time freedom we were looking for. Yeah. And to learn more about Rachel's background and her team and everything going on here, I'm going to direct everybody to your website, Rachel, because there's a lot of great content there. So shorttermgems.com. And I'll make sure to have that link in the show notes. Hate to do this to you, but you <laughs> said you started off in wholesaling and it cost a little bit more time than you anticipated. Could you 
puts things into perspective for some people, because frankly, I think a lot of people who get into real estate investing, that is the first thing they try to tackle. (laughs) And I don't think they understand really what they're getting themselves in for. Yeah, it didn't take long for me to recognize you quickly are going to be enrolling for a whole other grind altogether. So when I really did the research, I was interacting with some local real estate investment organizations or associations, and I wanted to really go into wholesaling. It's zero money to start. I'm a frugal girl. It made total sense. However, you're really pounding the pavement. You are doing all of the door knocking. You're putting out signs if necessary. You're visiting properties that you may or may not get under contract. And there were really no guarantees. And so for me, I had to take a step back and ask myself, what is it that you really want? What is it that you're after? And for me, it was time freedom and the alignment was not there at all for me. Personally, if you are working a full-time nine to five and maybe you have another side hustle, you really want to count the cost of those hours that it would take for you to be successful with wholesaling. I think it's phenomenal for those who have a lot of margin with their time on a day-to-day basis, but we just didn't have that. And counting the cost, knowing that the hours that I spend doing the wholesaling role myself, uh, those are hours that I'm taking away from my family, hours that I'm taking away from my best and highest use. And we quickly uh, digressed or divert our attention to other strategies. And that's how we found short-term rentals. I like that you kind of gave that perspective. When I when we first started real estate investing and we got into wholesaling as well, <laughs> and I actually had to use like a scorecard system where it would drive me to make sure I was doing enough activity in a day. It, it usually shocks people. For example, I tried to make a hundred phone calls per day yeah. in order to find that one deal. And yeah. I, I don't think people know that heavy lifting. No, you're absolutely after the third call and they're getting discouraged thinking, oh, no, I didn't get a deal. No, it really takes 100 to 200 calls. So don't get don't give up on the third call. And but that takes time. Right, Jack? (laughs) Yeah, it takes a lot of time. (laughs) But you're absolutely right. It's for those people that don't have the capital, but they have the time. Leverage one of those things that you have available to you. I find it interesting, though, you went into short term rentals. It was that the next stop you went from wholesaling to short-term rent- rentals? Yeah. So I didn't make much headway at all with the wholesaling. Again, working 14-hour shifts sometimes and recognizing, okay, this is really not what was sold to me in terms of no money to start, easy peasy, lemon squeezy, but it was definitely a time commitment. So I quickly started just to do my analysis of all of the other strategies. And I I felt like it was almost a knee-jerk reaction. I became very laser-focused on regaining my time freedom back because of those years spent paying off the student loans, the grind. Between my husband and I, we had five medical jobs between the two of us at some point, just hopping from hospital or center to center. But we looked at what the next obvious move would be. But before jumping in, we really did a a thorough evaluation. So obviously watching AGCV, what's the next obvious move? Let's become fix and flippers. (laughs) That's Mm going to be, at the end of the show, you've got 40K at the minimum. And so quickly realized after asking certain contractors within our community, the Riaz, 
No, this is a full-time job. It really is a whole other full-time job. And then, so we looked at long-term landlording. We wanted to own property that we can rent. We really love having real estate and the thought process behind having rental property that's generating us revenue. And we would find the most amazing deals, Jack, like in, in, for instance, south of Georgia, rural areas, like a 20 unit for $300,000. Oh, this is going to be amazing. But when you deep dive a little bit more and you look at the rent rolls and they're paying 165 to 250 a month, you start to ask yourself, wait a minute, why, first of all, why don't I live there? That's a great, (laughs) but you start to detect maybe that's going to be a bit of a challenge to deal with all of those doors, all those toilets, all those doors, all those Mm -hmm. rent checks that you're trying to collect. And so when we looked at the ROI and the cash on cash return for a property like that was within our budget, we were looking at maybe 300000 And a property nearby where we were currently living that was a little bit more upscale, a luxury property, did need a bit of work for two hundred and ninety dollars It really shocked us what those numbers looked like on a short-term rental perspective. And so that's the, the numbers. We spreadsheeted all of the strategies out and the numbers for investing in short-term rental, especially if you're going to position it more of a luxury short-term rental, it just blew everything else out of the water for us. You've mentioned a couple times now the importance of regaining some of your time. Yeah. When it comes to short-term rentals, maybe it's just, maybe it's a myth you're about to bust for me here is the fact that I just, every time I've tried to run the numbers for myself on short-term rentals, it's there it's a time suck as well the the amount of time to manage these what type of processes and procedures have you been able to implement to regain time you were looking for with your short term rental portfolio yeah that's a great question as with any business i feel as though your first foray is going to be a bit of a grind right so first property i was ceo and the cleaning lady simultaneously yeah so i did all the things but i quickly recognized how to hire myself from those roles first hire was a cleaner and really you only need three individuals to be wildly successful and regain your time freedom with your short-term rentals or three roles rather. So you need a, a stellar cleaner and a backup just in case, right? You need a phenomenal maintenance person who it could be a handyman who can help then refer you to other skilled laborers if you have a major repair that needs to be made. But that handyman comes in very handy because any repairs you want to get those done immediately. And once you get the ball rolling with your property, you do want to add on maybe a virtual assistant or a co-host, someone to help with your guest communications. So those are the three, cleaner, maintenance, and a virtual assistant slash co-host to help you with the guest communication. So are they working for you full time then or are they just, are they contractors and as needed? Contractors as needed. And my process is a little bit more, I would say, minimalistic than many of my investor colleagues. And my strategy is really how do I own and operate the fewest number of properties that generates the highest profitability? So I get door envy like anyone else when my colleagues say, oh, I just bought 50 doors. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Again, that time cap, like what is that really going to take in your time to manage? And with 10 properties, we were able to generate back in July last year, that's when the numbers were at its peak, 
we're able to generate six figures that month in July for 10 properties. And so you don't need a whole lot of doors. You don't need a whole lot of overhead, a whole lot of employees to run something like that. And yeah, so our virtual assistants are essentially the gatekeeper, lets the the cleaners and the maintenance team know when to come out. If we have something urgent or something's missing, they coordinate all of that. And uh, we get messaged and things get escalated to us only when there's an emergency or there's something that they've never encountered before. That's interesting. Another thing that I think is interesting is that you've referred to like high-end short-term rentals. Could you just, could you define that? What are you looking for in a property to, that you will include in your portfolio? Yeah, that's a great question. So the beauty of modern luxury is that it's different from traditional luxury, especially as it relates to travel. So traditional luxury, you're accumulating things, right? And choxies, and there are no gold toilets or anything like that. But when the luxury traveler is looking for accommodations in this modern era, essentially they're looking for a whole vibe. They're looking for an Instagrammable moment. They're looking to live like a local. They're looking for convenience, great communication, excursions, if they so choose, if that's the purpose of their travel. And so I absolutely love that about modern luxury. So the only thing that would exclude a great property from, uh, the ability to position it as a luxury property is maybe the curb appeal of that entire focal area. So if you're pulling up and there are cars on stilts on the front yard and it's just, it looks sketchy or scary or challenged, you wouldn't be able to position that property as a modern short-term, a luxurious short-term rental. You wouldn't be able to do that. And it's going to be very specific to that entire neighborhood. But if there's a curb appeal, if the area is well positioned and maintained, it is not all that difficult to position that property. And so our price points range anywhere from, I want to say 290000 to up until this point, close about 460 k purchase price. And our nightly rates range from anywhere around 800 to 2,800 a night. And so it, it is because of how we design, we set it up and we're not setting it up. I'm a little girl from Haiti. We're not going to set it up in a way to break the bank. We're not breaking the bank on these, but we're really strategic. Less is more, airy open spaces. I'm looking for an outdoor ambiance or vibe. And if, even if, there's not one there before purchasing. If there's a way that I can envision myself creating something, yeah, we'll launch it. And then we will use some of the capital to improve and improve upon it. But we're really not going in and completely breaking the bank on these properties. So just to remind everybody, head over to shorttermgems.com for some more information. You're talking some pretty big numbers there. So what type of other accommodations are you providing that might be out of the norm for people in your properties? Yeah. So I think one of my secret sauces to really hone in on the travel travelers that are willing to pay those rates, because even I get intimidated by those rates, it's that multi-generational multifamily. So I love five bedrooms and higher. That's what 
our bread and butter. Because here's the deal. Imagine you're traveling with, say, a partner or a spouse and they have their adult siblings and there's that next generation and the grandparents. And that's how we travel. So I count there anywhere from five to six adult paying units with those accommodations. So go and get a hotel with six rooms and split it apart. You don't have a way to cook. Our kitchens are fully stocked with great blenders and great appliances. And ultimately, the numbers are big, Jack, but it's still a great deal as to everyone split apart in a hotel where it's a little bit more sterile or there's not really that vibe. And so we love to implement a game rooms and just create an atmosphere where our guests can connect with one another and reconnect with nature because that's what we want to provide for them. And that's what we aim to, to share with the accommodations that we're presenting. Yeah, you mentioned that you also go into a property trying to find that value add associated yeah. with it. Like, that's actually a skill that a lot of people struggle with. Like, what are some of those things that you look to add? Is it pergolos? Is it a swimming pool? What are you looking? What are some of those low hanging fruits there? Yeah, it depends on the geographical area. So, understanding what are the top amenities that are sought after for your specific geographical area. For instance, I'm not going to add a hot tub in a beach community. It may be a great thing to have for some properties, but that's not what individuals are looking for. I do my best. We're, we have one under construction right now. I was told by several people, there's no space for a pool. I say, cut out a bedroom. We need a pool because you know that's what they're looking for. They want a private pool. Figure it out. I think we landed, it's going to be like a triangle wonky shaped pool. I don't care if you Mm -hmm. can dip one toe in there, we're putting a pool in. (laughs) And because that is the most sought after amenity in that particular market. Similarly, the mountain regions, right? The most sought after amenity is that hot tub. So understand what it is they're looking for is going to be the biggest investment that you want to focus on. An outdoor fireplace is one that we have added that provides a whole vibe with the fire pit. So that is a value add as well. And so those are really what we're looking for as far as setting up the property. So you do want to give it a modern feel. If it's a property that has great kitchen cabinets that are wood, we'll paint them and brighten the space up, make it light and airy. We want natural stone or some type of natural counter top. So we'll change out an old countertop if it's a dated home with good bones and add new countertops. Bathroom updates, we'll make a little update to the bathrooms. And so those are some of the things that we do to add some value add. And one thing that, you know, is something that can be implemented today for those of you who are in the audience who do host pets, if you can swing it, pet friendly, becoming pet friendly has increased our revenue by 30%. And this is something that I tell a lot of people, you're not being found when individuals are searching for you because they're looking for pet friendly accommodations. And once once they click that filter, you're nowhere to be found. And I've seen that time and time again. So we started off, we were not pet friendly. We're luxury companies. We are not going to, even our dogs haven't been to our rentals. But once you get the question asked the eighth time, is there any way you can accommodate my pet? You start to ask yourself, okay, what, what is the cost of that? How, how will we set it up? So I reached out to local kennels within our market and realized 
man, these dogs are paying like $50 to $100 a night. Like <laughs> these are hotel rates. And so that's one driver. I know you asked a little bit earlier, what's the driver for those prices? One driver is we are pet friendly. We So that may, that means we can't really have any type of surface on the floor. So we have no carpet. It's all solid surfaces just in case. But we have a lot of rules around it. But yeah, we just want to make sure that the space is going to be pristine for the next guest that's coming to stay with us. Yeah, that is that is a great tip. I guess I didn't realize the impact just being pet friendly could have. You you're doing new construction. Is this a new venture for you? Yeah, it's actually something that I stumbled upon. It's not something that I just straight up recommend when people say, Oh, you're building, I'm gonna go and build to them. Like, no, don't. <laughs> this is very situational. And I had found a market that I was totally in love with. And the price points for the properties were just through the roof. But then the realtor that I was working with, he stumbled upon a lot that was, I want to say $100,000 in this area where this is Rosemary Beach, Florida. The the properties were anywhere from two to 10 million. And I said to myself, okay, let me get this lot and I'll figure the rest out later. So I'm that girl that jumps out of the parachute and then jumps out of plane and then I try to assemble the parachute later. <laughs> and yeah, not something that I would recommend, but I really understood that market. And it was a market that I thought to myself, you know what, 20 years from now, I'll buy something in this market because I really love the water. I'm from the Caribbean originally. Once that lot was for sale, I said, I'll figure it out later. I'm grabbing this lot now. And so I found a wonderful builder that's building on there for me. Have you anything you've learned from that process so far? Yeah, <laughs> it's a process. I probably should have I probably should have just gone with the stock recommendations. I, I started there. I started going with the stock recommendations and then I wanted about three or four tweaks and then that escalated. Next thing the architect were $8,000 in for the drawings alone. Yeah, I would recommend if you don't have a, a specific nuances you want in your property, stick with the tried and true <laughs> stock build because the costs, they creep up quickly. And so we're still going through the process. I look forward to maybe coming back and sharing more lessons that I've learned along sure. the way. That'd be great. It sounds like there's a particular focus on kitchens and bathrooms. That's just seems to be the universal truth when it comes to any piece of real estate, when it comes to fix and flipping and now short-term rentals and everything. Yeah, absolutely. So I would say even bathroom counts. Oddly enough, we ran some research and we found that properties that have the perceived value from the guests that are staying there are properties with a larger number of bathrooms, oddly enough. And so the kitchens and bathrooms, I wouldn't say have to be most top of the line, the most updated, but if it's well equipped, I think that's a great thing. So you want to get the whole vibe, the whole look to be able to demand the pricing that you're wanting to demand at the higher price point, you do want some type of steel, stainless steel appliance, have those out. But then having quality uh, cooking tools is important as well. So high quality cooking tools is important. So you want to have pots and pans. Uh, we find that our guests, the reason they're staying with us is they do want to cook more, which has been a shift. Uh, previously, they would come eat out a whole lot. And then the fridge would never be open. The stove would never be turned on. But since the past year and a half or so, the shift has been 
they want to cook more and more at the household. And so having those good quality knives and cooking tools makes it a great stay for them. Yeah, what markets have you been playing in? It's, it sounds like you're in multiple. Yeah, Florida, Georgia, Tennessee, and the Poconos of Pennsylvania. And what are some benefits from one market over the other? So I think it's almost like when you're investing in perhaps a stock or a mutual fund, like the diversification. So if there's a hurricane, there simultaneously is not going to be a nor'easter or something like that, right? Maybe there will be, maybe there won't be. And so your whole portfolio is not impacted all at once. You do want to have the right insurance in place to make sure that you have your loss of use coverage and all of that in place. However, yeah, just having a diverse portfolio where you're covering different types of markets, I think it's great. So our we have mountain region, so ski, we have swim, swimming and beach. And in our Georgia market, it's a little bit of a different market. We have a suburban properties that actually hosts more midterm rentals than short-term rentals. It's something we really stumbled upon and we've really become specialists in the midterm rental space where these guests are displaced from their homes due to some type of catastrophic issue, whether it's a fire or a flood. And so we've been able to host them in our homes in the suburban areas of Georgia. What, what was the process? How did you choose these markets? So I actually am a big spreadsheet <laughs> nerd. So I leverage a lot of the data that's out there. I use one tool. There's a free version then a paid version of it. It's called airdna.co. So AirDNA, I go in and I just look at what are the top properties in certain markets? What are the top properties nationwide? What are the top properties globally as far as how much they're generating? And then I cross-reference the market value of those properties. How much are the homes selling for in those pro- in those markets? And so based on my budget, I, I filter down and filter down and I see where I can get the best bang for my buck the best ROI or cash on cash return. And that's really how I how I started off with going out into other markets. So I did start in my own backyard in Georgia. And then to look at other markets, I was looking for the highest cash on cash return and ROI. Okay, great. This has been a great conversation, but I do have a couple more. But before I get into those, I just want to remind everybody, shorttermgems.com for some more information. But Rachel, I have to ask this last question because I know that I'm going to get beat up if I don't. Short-term rentals is becoming a crowded space. And then you go into Airbnb and some of these other sites. How? What kind of steps or do you have any tips or tricks on how to get noticed on these platforms and stand out, especially when you're starting in this type of investing? Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you mentioned that because there is a lot of talk about saturation and I want to be very careful about that because saturation is very much a scientific and economic term. You want to identify, is there an increase in the product number of listings in an area and is there a decrease and the revenue that the area is producing overall? So if there's an increase in the product and a decrease in the revenue or the nightly rates overall or the amount of revenue the market is producing as a whole, yeah, it sounds like there's saturation. But if there's an increase in the product and increase in revenue, that indicates to me demand, right? So you definitely want to identify that first and foremost. And that's what I do for my future pacing. If I'm looking at another market, 
my next question is, of course, regulations. I want to understand what the regulatory ordinances say. And then my next question, is there saturation or is there demand? Is there rental demand? Is there growth happening in that area? So I'm very much a spreadsheet girl for sure. And then the next thing is when you want to stand out from the crowd, because we all know if you're on page two of a listing, you're not going to get seen. Like, we're lazy. We're not going to page two for anything, right? Mm-hmm. You do a Google search. You don't go to page two. You want the first. So the first 10 that's above the fold typically is really important to be amongst the first 10. And there are certain strategies that you could use to make sure that you're above the fold. And Airbnb, for instance, if you're using Airbnb, that's one of the forms that we use. We use Verbo also have certain metrics that they look at in order to give your listing priority. And so one of which is time on listing, for instance. So this is a random one. If someone spends a lot of time on your listing, looking through pictures, looking through different portions of the listing, that gives you, it's like ding, so this must be a great listing. A lot of people are spending a lot of time on this listing, okay? So that first photo, of course, is gonna be really important because that's gonna get you that first click. The second thing is that listing description as well. And so be very mindful because the way the platform is has been reconfigured, the first 30 characters, I think I counted 30, the first 30 characters are all that matters really initially. So that's a lot of real estate. So if you're going to place the property name, it's really cute to name your property, Flirty Flamingo, cute little condo. But that doesn't give the audience a glimpse as to what the property is. Be very mindful. Do not add the cutesy property name in that section there because they're just going to scroll past. You want to let them know something that they may not know just from seeing the picture. Two bedroom condo, if that's not indicated or minutes from the beach, walk to the beach, something that's going to really pique their interest. So once they click, now they'll have access to more photos and the listing description. And within the listing description, I see so many times and so many students come to me with two or three sentences in the listing description. No, use every bit of real estate that you, I'm talking, write a book if you have to, because if you use all of that, you write in everything you possibly can, and then you format it in a way that's bullet point, like upstairs, there's this and this. And the second floor, there are two bedrooms and a bathroom. That's what people want to know, right? How the configuration is. It's not always easy to tell. So if you break it down, they can think to themselves, okay, grandma and grandpa can sleep there and they can start. They will spend more time on your listing if you take the time to really put all of that copywriting in there. And then you want to have call to actions. People want to be told what to do. I tell them, come and stay with me. Let me take care of you. Book right now. I can't wait to see you come to your space and you got to really tell them what to do. And I think that's going to allow them to take some action on your listing. And so those are some of my preliminary tips. And I really make sure that our listings are set up that way. So do you typically hire that type of stuff out as well? The, that type of copywriting and the photos for that matter? The photos for sure, not the copywriting. I pretty much own that now. I have my own little formula. And so I just rinse and repeat that. I've tested multiple ways of doing it. And so I now know what works, but the photos for sure, professional photos, professional. If you're a professional photographer, great. 
But if you're not, iPhone photos are not going to cut it. Like you said, there is a lot of competition on there. What's going to make me stop the scroll? What's going to make me turn me into a looker to a booker? That's what I say from lookers Mm -hmm. and bookers. It's got to be the photo. That photo is that first step to get them to click. But how do we get them to move forward through that process and then book? And it's the copy that does that. Yeah. I'm always perplexed by the photo situation, to be honest, Rachel. I run into so many people that fix and flip their homes and they're spending all this time and money and effort. And then they take the photos with their iPhone SE or something. That's why, why is that the one area that you're going to withhold capital? Get it done. So worth the $200. It's not breaking the bank. You can get phenomenal photos for under 300 bucks. So it's so worth it. Well, Rachel, if you're ready, I have a few rapid fire questions for you as we close this out. (laughs) Let's do it. We all have experienced those late night infomercials of promising (laughs) getting rich quick through real estate investing. What is one real estate investing myth you'd like to bust here today? Oh, my myth is you need a whole lot of doors to make it in real estate. So I'm going to beat that drum, I think, forever. All you need really is one to two well-positioned short-term rentals to be wildly profitable. So you don't need 100 doors to get to your financial freedom number. That's going to be the myth. (laughs) What is one book you would recommend or or what are you reading right now? Oh, one book that I would recommend is Who Not How by Dan Sullivan and Dr. Benjamin Hardy. So it gets you, it helps you to fire yourself from the different roles and allow you to add in individuals who are experts in those roles and who love, say, guest communications and who love, you know, to set up your profile. Let them do it because that's their superpower. And then you can move on to your highest and best What is the biggest real estate investing mistake you've made and what did you learn from it? Oh, investing in an area that had an optional HOA. And I didn't know there was such a thing as an optional HOA, but I learned there was like, okay, if it's optional, then we're good. (laughs) That was not the case, unfortunately. So it turned out it became uh, not optional. And so the HOA, they really did not want short-term rentals in this particular area. And so we went ahead and we had to sell sooner than we we had hoped for. And it wasn't at a loss, but it was nowhere near what we were projecting. Okay. Lastly, Rachel, is there a question or concept you wished we would have covered here today? Oh, that's a good one. Let me think. We covered it lightly, but just knowing your numbers, understanding your buy box and really evaluating your numbers and knowing what benefits are out there for you from a tax perspective as well. So a lot of W-2 earners, higher income W-2 earners, there are cost segregation studies associated with short-term rentals that we didn't speak about, but that's another powerful mechanism to getting your ROI and really being profitable with short-term rentals as well. Well, Rachel, this was great. I hope you'll consider coming back again sometime. One last time, shorttermgems.com. And yeah, this was great. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Appreciate you as well, Jack. Have you learned at least one actionable step to incorporate into your real estate investing? If so, please consider returning some of that value by leaving a positive review, subscribing to our YouTube channel, or joining our growing network on Facebook and Twitter. You can find links to all of our social media accounts in the show notes. See you next time.